that away from us. And sometimes when I look around, maybe you would say the same thing, we find or we see joyless believers. And maybe you know some folks like that. They're just not happy. There's just no joy that is evident. We find joyless believers. Friends, listen to me. That should never be so. Well, here's the deal tonight. Peter, on his mission to stir us up, that's what we saw the first night, he writes to remind us of God's word, to stir us up. Peter, on his mission to stir us up, one of the things that he is going to stir us up in is joy. Now, we're talking about a personal revival. We're talking about God changing, impacting our heart in these days. Well, one of the things that God is going to stir up through his word is joy. Tonight, our message is entitled, Joy Now. Joy Now. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1, tonight, verses 6 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, tonight, verses 6 through 9. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you have you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come tonight and we're thankful for this night. We're thankful for this opportunity to come on a, on a strange night, on a Tuesday night and to sing your praises together with like-minded believers, Lord, to come and to hear from you. And Lord, once again, I pray that it's you who speaks tonight, not, not a church, not a preacher, not a denomination, but it would be you who speak through your word. You tell us it is living and that it's active. You show us it is relevant. And so I pray, Lord, that tonight would be a, a supernatural event where you would speak to us, where you would encourage us, that you would shape us if you need to, that there would be conviction. And I pray that the impact of this time would point to you, would make you known, and would bring much glory to your name. Lord, again, we just come and tell you we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Last night we ended... And we saw that Peter has reminded his audience, in Christ we have a living hope. Now that is a tremendous thing, that is, a, that is an awesome thing, that is a deep thing, but in Christ we have a living hope. He explained, if you remember from last night, that that living hope includes an inheritance. He tells us in those verses that that inheritance is guarded for us in heaven, not merely reserved in heaven, but it says in a military fashion, it is guarded for us in heaven. He then reminded them and us as well that that inheritance is imperishable. 
that it is undefiled, meaning it is perfect, it is flawless, and he tells us that inheritance is not diminishing, it's not withering, it's not tapering off. That inheritance does not pass away. Then if you remember last night, he tells them, not only is the inheritance guarded, but the heir as well. The one who has trusted Christ Jesus is also protected in the power of God. That was an awesome truth last night. Those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ are also protected in the power of God. Those saved in the grace and the power of God are kept saved in the grace and the power of God. That's, that's a big thing. That's a huge thing. If you've trusted Christ for your salvation in the power of God, you will be kept, not of any work that you would do, but in his power. Now, as we, as we start back tonight, I want you to think about how good of news that must have been. As they're hearing this, how good of news that must have been. They are suffering for the cause of Christ. They have lost friends. They have lost their families, some of them. They have lost their reputations. They have found that you can lose everything, even your life, for the cause of Jesus Christ. These are people that are suffering. These are people that are hurting, and they are finding you can lose absolutely everything for the cause of Jesus Christ. And then in the midst of that, Peter says, but be reminded, but be sure. Actually, he says this, what is waiting over there outweighs what is lost over here. And that's a great truth. He says, you know what, it is hard and it is tough, but what, what is waiting for us over there, secure in the power of God, outweighs what is lost right here. For the believer, the promise of God, kept in the power of God, is the best is always ahead. And I like to hear that, and I like to say that, and I like to preach that. As a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the best is always ahead. That is awesome news. That is, that is an awesome reminder. Tonight, as we start back moving again tonight, I want you to be sure of this. For the believer, the best is still ahead. And you might sit here and I'd say, well, there were some great days in the past, and yeah, I remember this time, and I'd like to go back to those times, and we sure enjoyed those times. Or you might say, yeah, some things have come up, and, and these are hard days, and maybe it's financially, maybe it's in your health, and you say, I don't, I don't know if we're going to make it through these days. Listen to me. The promise of God is as a follower of Jesus Christ, the best is still ahead. You may be in a tough spot. You may be hurting right now. You may be at a loss. You can't understand how you are where you are at. But you can be sure with certainty the best is still ahead. All right, we hear that last night. We see that in those verses last night. I want to tell you, I go home last night, and I'm excited. The best is still ahead. I love that. But then there's a question. Listen to me. But what about right now? But what about right now? Is the Christian life just grinding through, just enduring suffering and hardship? Christ says we're going to suffer. 
Peter said we are, Paul says we are, James says we are. Is that, is that what the Christian life is? Just plowing through hardships until some later joy? I think sometimes we get that idea. Is that going to be our life? Heartache and trouble until some relief and some distant day when our hope is realized. Well, here's what I want to tell you tonight. That's not the Christian life at all. The reality is, listen, we can and we should expect hardships, yes. But in Christ Jesus, we can and we should be overflowing with joy. That's what our message tonight is going to be about. Yes, times are hard. Yes, things are sometimes difficult. But in Christ Jesus, the Christian life, we can and we should be overflowing with joy. All right, let's go to our verses tonight, starting in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Now I want to work through verse 6. It's amazing how much is in just a single verse. Uh, I, I said we're going to get through this in, in 30 days. I don't know if we're going to get through it in 30 days. See this. In this you greatly rejoice. All right, here we go. We're going to move through it. In this. That's the starting place. In this. Now that is talking about the previous promise, verses 3 through 5, that we talked about last night. We are born again to a living hope. We have an inheritance. That inheritance is guarded. We as believers, as heirs, we are also protected. That previous promise, we can be sure of it. We can count on that. And so in that, in this, it says you. Now that's personal, talking about us, believers, you greatly rejoice. In this, you greatly rejoice. Now, here is the first indication of the joy we are to have now. Now, we find it in the word meanings. What is the first indication that we should have joy now? We find it right here. It says, in this, you greatly rejoice. Now, that word greatly rejoice translates to be excessively, abundantly happy. Now, sometimes we're scared to say that as followers of Christ. Uh, well, that's some kind of prosperity message or something. Listen, it, it, it actually translates to be excessively, abundantly happy. Happy. It is in the present tense in the, ver in the original language, and it's also in the continual tense. And so in that, in that truth right there, it means this. Right now, you are and you will keep being crazily happy. And that's my translation. Right now, and you will keep being crazily, abundantly happy. It's not that we live a sad and sorrowful life now, and one day there's going to be relief. That's not it. It is knowing the greatness of the relief that causes you to be exceedingly abundantly happy right now. Now, there's going to be some other pieces of this, but this is the starting place. Knowing the greatness of the relief, knowing the greatness of the promise that is to come, that causes us 
to be exceedingly, abundantly happy right now. Now, it goes on to explain. Even though now, now this is talking about our present reality. It was talking about their present reality. Even though now, for a little while. Now, we need to go slow here and think about this for just a second. There's two things that come out of that phrase. Even now, present reality, for a little while. Two things I want us to see in that phrase. The first is this. There will be an end. There will be an end for a little while. It will cease. It will not always be this way. Times are hard. You know it's not always going to be that way. Times we don't understand. Sometimes it won't always be that way. It will cease. There will be an end. That's the first thing we see from that phrase. The second thing is this. The length of your suffering will be small, will be short, compared to the coming eternal glory. The length of your suffering will be small, will be short, compared to the coming eternal glory. Now notice this. It doesn't say it won't be a long time. It could be a long time. It doesn't even say it won't be the entirety of your life. It will be for Peter. It was for Paul. But it does mean however long it is, however long the time of your suffering is, it will be short compared to eternity. One of the things I watch, one of the things I see when I do funerals is the hurt in the family, the hurt in the friends. And I don't care if, if that was an expected death, if it's an unexpected death, I don't care the age. Uh, when we get to that point, uh, there's always the hurt of the loss of death. There are broken hearts from the loss of death. It is a huge loss. And I always watch that, and then at most of those services, we sing the song. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Do you know that's the reality? I listen to that, that song, that's actually the truth. And I think about my own dad when he passed away. I think about some of your loved ones when they passed away. Do you know it's tough and it's sorrowful and it grieves us? But I like to think about that song. Do you know there's actually going to be a day for those that have trusted Christ that we will stand in eternity. And I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I try to make a guess. I try to think about that. But there's going to be a day that we stand in eternity and there will be a day when 10,000 years have passed. And these 60 or 70 or 90 years that we spent so much worrying about, that we spent so much grinding about, will actually be as nothing. In 10,000 years, and there'll be no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. That's the truth. That's the reality. It won't always be that way. There's gonna be an end to it. And however long it was, it'll be small in comparison to glory. The verse goes on, even though now for a little while, if necessary, this is odd, you have been distressed by various trials. Now, I want you to notice that if necessary. That's strange to me, if necessary. What is this talking about? How is suffering necessary? 
It ought to be unnecessary. Why would suffering, why would troubles be necessary to us as followers of Christ? That seems absurd. Well, see this tonight, understand this. These hardships, these problems, these trials are not for nothing and they are not for no reason. They are actually foretold of. Jesus told us about this. The, the other apostles told us. And they are actually to be expected. Now, let me give you some reasons that trials or troubles might be necessary. I found three. Uh, there's, a, there's more than that, but I'm going to talk about these three. Let me give you some reasons that troubles, that suffering, that trials might be necessary. First one is this. Trials, troubles, problems exist for the purpose of growing the believer. Trials, troubles, problems exist for the purpose of growing the believer. Now, I'm going to flip back, and I'm going to read from James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. You just listen. Here's what James says. Consider it all joy, my brethren, believer, when you encounter various trials. That sounds crazy. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect, meaning complete, and complete, lacking in nothing. Be very sure tonight, understand this, in great troubles, in times of suffering, the things that do not matter in our life are stripped away. In times of great suffering, the things that are, that are wrong priorities are pushed away. In times of trouble, here's what I've learned. We learn the faithfulness of God. In times of trouble, we learn the nearness of God. Did you ever notice that? In times of trouble, we learn that all we have, and then we find that all we need is available in God. Let me tell you something, and, and I, don't, I think you'll agree with me, but let me tell you something. I can tell you without a doubt, the greatest times of growth in my Christian walk have been in heart-wrenching times. And I'll just tell you, listen, I'm, I, I'm trying to read my Bible and I'm trying to grow and I'm praying that God would grow me. But I can tell you this without a doubt, the times of greatest growth, when I learn the character of God, when I learn my failings, when I learn what the priority set needs to be, came in times where they were hard, where suffering was real and in heart-wrenching times. So it could be necessary for the growth of the believer. God can be using it to grow you, to draw you closer to him. Another reason, it could be necessary for the spread of the gospel. It could be necessary for the spread of the gospel. The Bible tells us spreading the gospel very clearly will come at a cost. As we read the accounts of those that took that serious and marched out with the gospel, we see it came at a great cost. It will be hard. The gospel will spread, will move forward in suffering and in struggle. Well, maybe the hardships are due to or are necessary for the gospel to be shared. On my wall, there's a picture, and that picture has a psalm on it. The psalm says this. 
They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Here's what that means. The biblical precedent is this. The sowing is done in tears. The sowing is done at great cost. The sowing is done in hardship. All right, let me give you another reason. Another reason is the hardship could be necessary, could be caused by the standing on the word of God. Now, again, the Bible tells us uh, this truth, the word of God, the message of the Bible is counter to the world. The Bible is very clear in that. The world has its system. God has his. The word of God is counter to the truth of the world. The world hates God's truth. And here's the reality. Jesus told us this. If it hates God's truth, then the world's going to hate those that would stand on it, that would teach it, that would adhere to it, that would proclaim it, defend it. And so understand tonight, it could be necessary that there is suffering for the cause of upholding the word of God. Now, I want to I point this out. I want to say this. If you've got to suffer... Aren't those worthy reasons to suffer? You see, I've suffered for my own sin. I've suffered in my own hand. I've suffered in my own doing. But I want to tell you, aren't those awesome reasons to suffer? That God is drawing you closer to him? That the gospel is being spread and because it is, there's suffering that goes along with that? That you're upholding and living by and proclaiming the word of God and with that comes the hatred of the world Aren't those worthy reasons for suffering? The end of the verse says, distressed by various trials. Now, the word various literally translates multicolored or multifaceted. So the trials, they're multifaceted, they're multicolored. Trials means afflictions or calamities. And so what that, what that little two-word phrase is meaning is, Trouble comes in all shapes. Trouble comes in all sizes. There's no one formula for trouble. And your trouble may not be what your trouble looks like. There's all forms of trouble. Now, there's one last thing I want to look at before we move out of this sixth verse. And that is the word distressed. Distressed. It means great pain. Now, it's used in other places to describe the pain of childbirth. I don't know anything about that. I don't even want to pretend to. But that's what the, in other places, the Bible attaches it to that. But here, however, it is not really physical pain. Distressed by various trials. Distressed. It is actually referring to emotional pain. Severe sorrow. Deep grief. Anxiety, deep sadness. Here's what I believe. I think that's the worst kind of pain. And I think sometimes we can get tough and we can make it through physical pain. We can endure physical pain if we, if, if we have to. But I want to tell you, deep sadness, anxiety, sorrow hurts to the core. And that's what it says, distressed by various trials. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Listen to verse 7. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, 
even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me read that verse again. There's a lot there. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's, here's the, the point of verse 7. Faith has a byproduct, and it is faithfulness. Faith has a byproduct, and it is faithfulness. It is obedience. Now, I want you to be sure and hear this. We are not saved in the ex exhibition of faithfulness. Now, there's some that go that way. There's some that lean that way, that you got to prove it. you got to prove it. We're not saved in the exhibition of faithfulness. We're not saved in works of obedience, but here's the truth. But as we grow in our faith, our faithfulness should be growing as well. And that's okay to say. We're not saved by the exhibition of our faithfulness, but as we are growing in our trust of God, as we are growing in our faith, our faithfulness should be growing as well. Meaning... Our enduring suffering, our bearing up under suffering, our resolve to endure is evidence of, is proof of our faith. Now, the example here is just like gold is purified. Uh, it, is, it is purified. It is tested in the smelting pot. We also are purified. We also are tested in fire. And that faith that saved us is now evidenced in our enduring of suffering. That's what the verse means. Now, here's a crazy thing. Here's a crazy part of this verse. And God says right here, when Jesus comes, we will be praised, we will be honored for our faithful stand. Now, when I read that, that sounds wrong. That doesn't sound right. That's what the, that's what the verse means. And Jesus said, for some it will be said, well done, good and faithful servant. You know what? There's going to be great praise for those that endured and took their stand, stayed in it. Friends, all of that should result in joy. And I'll, I'll just tell you right now, the world can't understand that. The world says there's joy in never suffering. The world says there's joy in escaping all suffering. Honestly, this really makes no sense. But here's what it means. There should be joy that we are suffering for the righteous cause. There should be joy in that we are suffering for the righteous king. And in the power of God, listen, in the power of God, we might be limping along and we might be beaten all to pieces, but there should be joy that we are seeking to be faithful to the Lord. Now, when I think about that, I, I go back and I think about when we went through Acts recently. Remember, they go, it says they were beaten and they were released. And I think we, we don't understand the severity of the beating. Now, they were beaten and they were released. And the book of Acts says, and as they leave, they rejoice to be counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. And I think that's what this verse is talking about. They stood for the righteous cause and they stood for the righteous king and there is joy in enduring suffering as hard as it is in the power of Christ. 
So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now I'll tell you, verse 8 is my favorite verse of this section. I love verse 8. We have joy because of what's coming, yes. We're excited about heaven, yes. We want to be faithful to the glory of God, and that ought to produce joy in us, yes. Listen to me, here's the core of the whole thing. But why do we honestly have joy right now? Really, if it's hard and it's tough, why would you have joy right now? Listen to me very carefully. It is because right now we have Jesus. Right now we can walk with Jesus. Verse 8, I believe, is the essence of faith. It is the reality of faith. It says, and though you have not seen him, you love him. Listen, what is faith? And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him. Friends, I want to tell you something. I've never seen Jesus. I've never seen Jesus. But I can tell you this. I love him. I love him, and I know him, and I, I want to know him better. And I can tell you right now, I seek to walk with him. I get up in the morning. You know what? The best thing that would happen in this day is that I would walk with Jesus, that I would walk on his pace, that I would walk by his shoulder. The greatest thing is that I'd be found walking with Jesus. The greatest thing is that I would please my Savior, Jesus. I have never seen Jesus. I'll tell you right now, my hope is in him. My future is in him. I don't have plans for something outside of Jesus. My salvation, the only way anybody has a, a salvation is in Jesus. Now, now, not only that, but let me tell you something else. I also know that Jesus knows me. That's crazy. That Jesus loves me. That's what he says. That Jesus actually wants to walk with me. That Jesus calls me friend. That's absurd. He is my help. He is my advocate. We say it so much that we lose sight of it. We we say it so much, we become numb to it. But verse 8 is what it actually means to have a relationship now with Jesus by faith. Here's, here's what I want to tell you. Be sure, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we're not waiting on some future relationship with Jesus. When I look into his face, the one that saved me by his grace, that's going to be awesome. I look forward to that. But listen, I'm not waiting. Believers, we're not waiting on a future relationship with Jesus. By faith in Jesus, we have it now. Haven't seen him, know him. Haven't seen him, love him. Haven't seen him, believe in him. By faith in Jesus, we have a relationship with Jesus right now. Says this. Because of that, now listen, here it goes. You greatly rejoice. 
Moving along in verse 8, you greatly rejoice. Now, that's the same as in verse 6. It still means exceedingly abundantly happy. It is still in the present tense, meaning right now. It is still in the continual sense, meaning it is ongoing. And so you are exceedingly abundantly happy. It says, with joy inexpressible. Now, that's, that's, hard. that's hard to tell you because it's inexpressible. The joy that there's no words for that joy. Because you have a relationship with Christ, because you're walking with him right now, there's no words for that. There's no demonstration of that. Do you know how frustrating that is? I want to tell you how great the joy is. You can't. It's inexpressible. And it says with great glory. You know what I, what I marvel at when I think about all that? What a Savior we have. What a Savior we have. What a God we have. Gracious, what a friend we have. Let me make this clear. We have joy because of the promise ahead. Praise the Lord for that. We have joy because of the promise ahead. But the joy of the promise ahead is the same joy of the promise now. And that is the truth that we have Jesus. World's tough. Times are hard. Our hearts hurt. We have Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Maybe this epidemic of folks, of believers that are claiming to be believers and have no joy. Maybe these folks that can't find any joy, it's because they haven't found Jesus. And the truth is this, we have joy because we know Jesus. We love and walk with Jesus. All right, verse 9, last verse tonight. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Obtaining is the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, here's what I want you to see in verse 9. This is twice now in the first half of the first chapter that it talks about salvation like this. Now, here's what it says up to this point. The proof points to your faith. That faith, putting your faith in Jesus, results in the salvation of our souls. We are saved by faith. Know this, Peter keeps talking about the salvation of our souls. Know this, the greatest thing we can receive from God is our salvation. Unmerited, unearned, well, what about stuff? What about a restoration of health? What about some bonus? What about something else? What about comfort? What about escaping trouble? The greatest thing we can receive from God is our salvation. And I want you to know this tonight lest we forget it. We need to be reminded of this tonight. There is a fate much worse than suffering now. I think that's why Peter puts this in here twice already. There is a fate that is much worse than suffering now. And that is suffering for eternity in our lostness. In Jesus, God has given us a Savior, a remedy for lostness. We are joy-filled now for what's to come. We are joy-filled now because we have Jesus. Here's the third one. 
We are joy-filled now because in the grace and the power and the love of God, we are saved. Here's the point to the ninth verse. Hear this. We should be joy-filled tonight because we are saved. We ought not need anything else. We've got a whole lot more than that, but we ought to be filled with joy because we're saved. We have escaped the judgment of God that we earned in our sin. We have been redeemed from the penalty of sin that I earned in my sin. Because of God, he has sent his son and he has saved us, paying the payment we could not pay. Return to us the joy of our salvation. Let me tell you this. There should be no more joyful or joy-filled person than a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's the truth. That's what he's trying to stir them back up to. That's what he's trying to remind them. It is tough, yes. It is hard, yes. It's going to get worse, yes. But we are saved in the grace of a loving God in the person of Jesus, return to us the joy of our salvation. Here's how we're going to end tonight. God, remind us of that. Remind us of that. I'm saved. No work of my own. Nothing I did. Nothing I can boast in. You love us. You sent your only begotten son. He, he paid for my redemption, our redemption in his own blood, his own sacrifice. God, by the way of your word, remind us of that. God, stir that back up inside of me. God, stir us up, stir us up to be a joy-filled people. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come, and I, and I tell you, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. For I start looking at the things around me, and I start looking at the situations around us. And I, let, and I let the world take my joy. And sometimes I, I give it up myself. And Lord, help me to be mindful of the joy that's coming ahead, that's promised, that's sure. Let that result in joy now. Lord, let me be mindful that I have Jesus now and I can know you and hear from you and talk to you, walk with you in obedience. Honor you, Lord. Hopefully honor you right now. Let that be a joy. But Lord, let me not forget that a sorry sinner such as I, in the grace of God, the cost of Calvary, am saved by faith in Jesus. Lord, I praise you for that. I thank you for that. I take joy in that. Lord, I pray for a couple things as we end this service. I pray that we are stirred up in our joy. I pray that we go home tonight and we sleep in joy, that we're mindful of the joy that we have in Christ Jesus. And Lord, the second thing I pray tonight is if there's somebody that doesn't have that joy, somebody that doesn't have a living hope, somebody that doesn't know our Savior Jesus, Lord, I pray in the preaching of the gospel, the hearing of good news, that this very night, listening here in person, listening in some other way, that tonight they would turn and trust you, that any hindrance to that would be removed. And I pray it would be a great response that would point to you. Lord, we come tonight and we tell you we love you. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your reminder. We praise you for it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close tonight with a time of invitation, a time of response, a time to respond to the preached word of God. And I want to tell you, it truly is the most important time of our service. Uh, we preach not just to 
hear ourselves speak. We preach not just to say the relaying of information. We preach for an impact, for a choice, for a decision. Listen to me. God loves you. He loves you so much he sent his only begotten son, Jesus. He came and he's paid your penalty, your price, settled it in full on the cross of Calvary. They took him off that cross. He has paid for it. He's dead. He's paid for it in his own death. They placed him in a tomb. Three days later on Easter Sunday morning, he walks out of that grave. He stands as the risen Savior, the hope of sinners. Let me tell you the good news tonight is this. If you'll trust him tonight, he'll save you. If you'll turn to him in faith tonight, he'll save you. If you'll profess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is our hope, Jesus is our Lord, the Bible says this, he'll save you tonight. If you've never done that, do that tonight. If you need more information, you come. Let's settle that tonight. If you want to talk that through, you come. Let's leave it not unfinished tonight. Maybe you're here and you say, yeah, I've made that decision, but you've never fallen in believer's baptism. It's always after the point that we're saved, not part of it. It's always by immersion, a picture of what we believe of Christ. He died for sinners. He's risen. He lives today. It's a picture of what has happened to us in Christ, that we've died with him. We now stand with him. And so maybe you're here and you'd say, I've made a decision, but I've never fallen in believer's baptism. You come as well. We'll set a day. It'll be a great day of celebration, testifying to what we believe of our Savior, Jesus. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it. You believe God has led you here. You come as well. Together we'll uphold his word till he comes back. We'll point to his gospel until he comes back. Maybe you're here tonight and you needed just to be stirred up in your joy. Maybe your response tonight is to pray where you're at. Maybe to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. God, thank you for this reminder. God, help me be stirred up and filled with your joy. We're going to stand and sing. If God has spoken to you, if you have a decision to make, you step out. You come on. I'm